What a fantastic Christmas song. Thank you, Mike Catherwood, for playing that for me. You're listening to Deb Hutton filling in this week for Reshmi Nair. It's just after 4.30, and that means it's time for our daily Smart Speaker Series. Joining me this afternoon is Matt Gurney, co-founder and editor of The Line, an online magazine, and a columnist for TVO. And Sunil Johal, who is professor in public policy and society at the University of Toronto. Welcome to The Rush. I don't. <laughs> thought I didn't have my friends with me. So nope. you may have just heard me chatting with uh, uh, Mayor Patrick Brown. It's a, a day of relief, he called it, for for Brampton Mayor and his council. Uh, that, of course, is because the city, the province, reversed itself on what was going to be the dissolution of the region of Peel, going from two levels of municipal government down to the lower tier level, Mississauga, Brampton, and Caledon being all their own entities. Uh, I'll let you take this, Matt Gurney, anywhere you want. Uh, Specifically, I'd love to talk about the politics of this, because with Bonnie Crombie, outgoing mayor of Mississauga, now Ontario Liberal leader, Patrick Brown, former leader of the Conservatives, Doug Ford, aligning himself initially on this issue with Bonnie Crombie, and now what appears to be siding with Patrick Brown. It's just, it's fun discussion for political people. So go, Matt Gurney. I think Matt might be on mute, but... <laughs> Mr. Gurney, are you muted? Guys, can you hear me now? We can hear you now. now I can. Oh, my goodness. Yeah, sorry. I, I shouldn't have been muted, but I, th- I think my cable must have come loose. Apologies for that. Um, look, uh, you, you say it's fun, Deb, and I say it, it is, but it also makes me want to cry. Um, it, just, it just makes me sad when I see this because there was part... <clears throat> I get the politics of this, and I've even heard from a couple of my conservative buddies in the last couple of weeks, oh, don't worry about Bonnie Crombie. We know how to uh, cause problems for her. And I think they've got themselves convinced that like pulling out of uh, the dissolution of Peel is some incredible um, uh, victory for them that's going to make Bonnie Crombie's life difficult. If I'm Bonnie Crombie, I spend the next three years just reminding voters, these are the guys who can't make up their minds. These are the guys who make decisions without even thinking about it. Now she can be, she can do a good politician. She can waffle on this and go, "I understand the con- the proposal was controversial, and people in Brampton, Mississauga, have different views." But don't you want a government that can make a decision and stick with it here? This is like, look, we have a long history of Doug Ford backflips here, but this is not that. There is actually a law that has been passed to enable this. And I heard Paul Calandra earlier, I had to laugh, where he basically was asked, hey, why didn't you guys like do your homework before you passed this law? And he said, well, you know, we needed to pass the law in order to have the transition board that, you know, told us not to do this. What Paul Calandra is trying to do is convince everybody that the reason he hired a divorce lawyer was so that that divorce lawyer could later be his marriage counselor. What he's talking about here makes absolutely no sense. I, I, it's funny, but it does make me sad. So, Matt, when I say it's 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 fun, it's just because it is such a complicated political world. Deep down, though, I think the politics of the decision, and I want to get your take on that, is is purely the Ford government did not want to be seen as responsible for hiking property taxes, which they had been convinced was going to be what happened. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. No, for sure. I mean, look, they don't want to have to go uh, to Brampton and explain uh, what why their taxes are going up, especially because 
because of some of those fun personal dynamics and political dynamics you're talking about here. They knew full well Patrick Brown would enjoy spending the next few years of his life telling everybody that Doug Ford raised their taxes. So I get that. What it just baffles me is how no one was able to think that through six or 12 months ago. Sunil, uh, one of the questions I put to the mayor, and, I, and I'm going to put to the Minister of Municipal Affairs and Housing when he joins us at 520 this afternoon, is, okay, you don't want to go the route of disillusion of Peel. What about dissolving the lower tiers and taking them up? Because I still have a problem with two levels of municipal government. Yeah, I mean, it's a, it's a really interesting question. And I mean, the other thing is the province had put facilitators in place to look at the same issue for Durham, Halton, Niagara, Simcoe, Waterloo, and York region. So it's not clear to me what's happening in those um, areas. And I mean, the other thing is, I mean, Matt mentioned the minister's remarks today. He he said full dissolution is off the table for Peel, but that seems to leave open the, the window for some services like policing or paramedic uh, services still being uh, reconsidered uh, as well. So, I mean, I think at the end of the day, we still don't exactly know what's going to happen uh, here. And I mean, I mean, I think in the long run and kind of big picture perspective, I don't really think this is an issue voters are going to focus too much on unless it really does hit their pocketbooks in the form of higher property taxes or worse services. And I, I don't, I think for the most part, most people aren't focused on this. They're focused on kind of bigger picture um, issues. Well, and of course, we'll have a new mayor of Mississauga at some point in the not-too-distant future. Um, I thought we might have, I should have known better, but thought we might have a decision or some commentary out of City Hall about the issue of freezing the number of rideshare drivers in the city. But I think City Hall is still in their last council meeting of the year, still stuck on item number one or two. Essentially, what's happened is we received a leak, uh, a piece of advice from the city solicitors to council around the fact that they are unlikely to win without changes, a uh, challenge that has been launched by them uh, for them uh, by Uber. This, of course, is the October motion where City Council decided they would freeze the number of rideshare drivers in the city until the end of 2024. So uh, basically, for the next full year, no additional rideshare drivers in the city. Um, I'll ask you your prediction on what is likely to happen since we don't know yet. They've not yet uh, discussed this issue at City Council, Matt. What do you think they'll do? Do you think they will reverse it? Do you think they'll make amendments to it and that we will see or maybe just put a pause on the policy decision and we'll see the ability for Uber and other rideshare operators like Lyft to increase the number of drivers who are allowed to, um, to drive in the city? Yeah, I think Uber is going to win. I mean, that's that's my quick takeaway here. I don't know exactly what they're going to do, Deb, but like of all those buffet of options you laid before me, I have absolutely no idea which one the city's going to go with here. Um, the fact that you even thought they would be uh, into this meeting was way ahead of where I was. I had totally forgot the meeting was even happening. Um, but what I would say is that, like, you know, we've often heard that, you know, uh, happy wife, happy life, the secret to success is keeping your, your better half happy. The secret of my success has always been listen to your lawyers. 
And with the city's own legal counsel advising them that their legal position is precarious here, politicians know what that means. Like they're not they're not going to be like, no, we're going to fight this one out in court. So I don't know which way they're going to find to avoid the problems that you're talking about here, Deb, but they will find something like once the city's lawyers tell them, no, we're a little bit out on that limb. The city will find some way to back down whether or not it does with any dignity. I leave to the the listener's imagination. Sunil, your thoughts. Yeah, I mean, I think the issue here is that council made this decision a few weeks ago uh, without the typical process that would have been involved. So consulting with stakeholders, giving some notice that this was going to happen. And that's what the solicitor is warning um, council about, that if we proceed with this hasty decision without the advice that we would typically uh, take on this type of situation, then we're going to lose. But I think city council still has the option of saying, we're going to pull back this relatively hasty decision to spend a few months doing those consultations and then proceed with a cap. I think they'd be on much stronger ground. And I think that's probably what you're going uh, to see. So kind of a, a temporary back down on this uh, cap, but I don't think uh, in the long run the the mayor wants to back down from this, and I think she she views it as a priority in terms of uh, reducing congestion, environmental benefits, and so on. Well, I just we're not going to have time to move to another topic before the break, but I'm curious, Matt, on your take on why this happened in the first place so quickly, sort of you know under the cover of darkness, kind of thing, wedged into an environmental motion because I don't believe that's what it's about. Oh, no. Yeah, no, I, I think I think you're bang on. Um, why did it happen quickly? Because every mayor comes in and, and wants to get a few quick wins. And as we've seen in many different examples, the, sometimes what they identify as the quick wins actually just end up becoming uh, a nightmare here. I mean, this was not really uh, on the agenda at all. Yeah, if you're right, I'm trying to remember the exact motion it was on. Something about moving to EVs, I think it was. Yeah, like, it was what the zero, motion was supposed to be. Zero emission yep. vehicles um, of cabs and rideshare by 2031, I believe, is the year. Yeah. Listen, gentlemen, I'm going to have to move on, but we will have much more time to chat after the break. It's Smart Speakers this afternoon. You're listening to Deb Hutton in for Reshmi Nair on The Rush. Welcome back. It's uh, Deb Hutton filling in for Reshmi Nair this afternoon and all this week. We are talking with our smart speakers this afternoon. I'm joined by Matt Gurney, co-founder and editor of The Line, an online magazine, and also columnist for TVO, and Sunil Johal, who is a professor in public policy and society at the University of Toronto. I want to go to another political story. Toronto Star has a new poll out by Abacus Data. They are reporting what they say is a new uh, noticeable shift in their latest numbers. Uh, This poll was taken between December the 7th. It ended yesterday. So um, over a weekend, which I'll point out as a longtime conservative is never the best time to pull conservatives, but that is not me putting a uh, asterisk by these numbers, but it is is noteworthy from my perspective. Uh, Conservatives have gone from 42 down to 37, a drop of five. Liberals 27, uh, which is up four points from where they were last time, 20 and the NDP have not moved, sitting at 19. Matt, I'll start with you. Just curious, your take. Uh, do you believe the numbers? This, of course, was around the time of all of the disruption uh, in Ottawa, the Conservatives holding up Parliament, sitting through the night, all those sorts of things. And secondly, if you think these numbers are actually showing us something, what do you think's behind the, I'll call it a trend? Yeah, I mean, 
I would I look, we, we got to talk about it today. I get that. We can't talk about these numbers three weeks from now, but I would like to see other polls. Um, there was a, a Nanos poll out yesterday that was much more consistent with the large Tory uh, lead we've seen in recent weeks. So I don't know if Nanos hasn't caught movement yet or if Abacus caught a blip. Like, I, I honestly don't know. I guess we'll find out. But I, what I would say is that I've been kind of waiting for a while for there to be some kind of softening in the conservative numbers or some kind of rebound in the liberal numbers. And I'm not necessarily expecting we go back into any kind of dead heat. I honestly have no idea what to expect. But I knew we would not have the Tories maintaining an almost 20-point lead forever indefinitely between now and whenever the next election comes. Like, that that was never likely to me. So I don't know um, if this is the beginning of a trend, as you said, or if this is just an anomaly that'll be smoothed out after the holidays. I guess we'll find out. But what was remarkable to me has been in recent months, the incredible consistency of all of the polls showing the same thing, kind of in late July, early August, a real divergence opening up and then staying kind of between 15 and 20 points pretty consistently. Abacus might be the first ones to be catching a move here, or maybe it's just a dud poll. They happen. Sunil, one of the the things that uh, caught my attention is that Monday, Tuesday, we had the announcement about the dental plan and we had uh, the NDP leader, you know, showing great joy and taking credit for that. There'll be two nights of those nights that would have uh, would have caught that. It was big news, certainly Monday and Tuesday. And yet the NDP do not seem to be able to move. Yeah, I mean, I don't know how much they're going to benefit from that announcement because the the Liberal Party can really position this as as a government announcement, and, the, and they're kind of driving government decisions right now. So the NDP is in a bit of an awkward junior partner situation where they they might be the ones responsible for these pieces moving forward, and they probably are, but they're not going to get credit uh, at the end of the day uh, for it. And I mean, uh, at the, I mean, kind of building on what Matt was saying, I mean, these changes in polling results are all kind of within the margin of error. We're almost two years potentially away from the next federal election. I I wouldn't read too much into kind of a three or four or five point shift week over week uh, at this point. And I mean, also to Matt's point, I think you're going to see things tighten up a bit. People are going to not see Polyev as a a blank slate anymore. He's going to have some missteps that's going to eat into some of his initial early momentum support. Uh, So I would just say, don't read too much into these polls yet. We've got we've got plenty of time to focus on those in the, in the months and or years to come. There are a handful of human rights groups um, and uh, MPs from the Liberal, from the Conservative, and from the Bloc caucuses, uh, as well as uh, family members of those who were killed or taken hostage during the October 7th attacks in Israel. They're calling for Canada to levy sanctions against several people that they say have ties here in Canada with Hamas. Um, former Liberal uh, Minister Erwin Kotler is... Uh, is leading this, is part of this charge. He has submitted 44 people, charities, and businesses that have been identified as having some sort of a connection to the terrorist organization. The group's also calling on the feds to list Iran's Islamic Revolutionary Guard Corp as a terrorist group. Now, that's something Parliament has already signaled that they would like to see happen, but the government hasn't moved on it. Um, Matt, I'll start with you on this, just your your general perspective on, on whether this is something that 
that uh, is important to do, whether it's something that the federal government should do. And curious as to why they haven't moved on uh, the suggestion that the Iranic, uh, the I Iranian uh, is Islamic group is not on the terrorist list here in Canada. You know, I'll, I'll take those kind of in reverse order. The sure. IRGC should be on the list, and it should have been on the list years ago. I really have no idea what the hell we're waiting for. I think there remains in certain uh, liberal circles a desire to reset that put that in air quotes for you, the relationship between Canada and Iran, because I think part of uh, Canada's current um, position, adversarial position against Iran is looked at in some ways as Harper era baggage. I think that's nuts. I think we all know what the Iranian regime is about. I really don't know what the hell we're waiting for on that one. I don't know if there's a lot of realism prevailing in the halls of Canadian foreign policy so much as aspirational uh, best wishes, and it would be probably a good time to change that. On the other issue of uh, of whether or not these individuals or organizations should be sanctioned. I'm not in a position to cast judgment on any of these people or groups, but in general, I take what Erwin Kotler says on these matters extremely seriously. There would have to be some kind of review force uh, process, either by our police forces, our intelligence services. But if there are indeed individuals or organizations in Canada that are in any way materially contributing to the support of Hamas, yes, we should be sanctioning these people. We should be looking into whether or not it rises to the level of meeting the criminal code provisions we have for the support of terrorism here. When it comes to combating uh, human rights abuses in general, and I would say specifically anti-Jewish, anti-Semitic terrorism and violence in particular, listen to Erwin Kotler. He knows what he's talking about. The government would be wise to do this. I don't know if they will. Interesting. Yeah, I, I'm with you on on Kotler. Uh, Sadil, your thoughts? You can take either or both of those topics. Yeah, I mean, just quickly on the the sanctions against the individuals. I mean, I think even if that's something the government's looking into, I would presume that there's a significant amount of due diligence that needs to go into that type of um, decision. So it may well be the case that the government's looking into that and just uh, doing its homework. So I, I wouldn't necessarily kind of take it as they're not moving forward with this. It just it's one of those things where you've got to be really sure that when you're when you're putting somebody on that kind of list and you're kind of imposing those kind of sanctions that you're a hundred percent sure there there's a high bar in the legislate in the legislation to make those kinds of actions so uh, if people meet that meet that level then a hundred percent we should be cutting off uh, ties to individuals associated with terrorist organizations and making sure they're not being used as a back channel to raise funds for those types of organizations matt gurney sunil johal thank you so much for joining me on smart speakers this afternoon coming up after the news at five you are going to hear a familiar voice it's someone that you're going to hear much more regularly on this station. Stay tuned. I look forward to my discussion.